So let's take a look at God's Word this morning, and um, we're, we're talking about how God is good. He makes covenants, which means He makes an agreement. He, he desires to have a relationship with us, and what I want you to hear today is God is serious about having a relationship with you. We, we often talk about... Um, you know, have, do we have a relationship with Jesus? Do we have a relationship with God? Have we come to know Jesus? Have we come to know God? But do you ever think about the other side of it? How much does God want to make Himself known to you? He has invited you to join Him in relationship, to be your God, to be your Father. And we've looked at uh, Exodus 34, Psalm 62, Zephaniah 3, God is mighty to save, uh, God is our stronghold, He's our refuge. And from Exodus 34, you see God revealing Himself, letting us know that He is a gracious and compassionate God. He is slow to anger, He is abounding in love, He is faithful, He makes these covenants, and He cares and protects, He's revealing Himself. God ultimately reveals Himself to us in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ, we have seen and we have experienced in the flesh God Himself. The very personality of God as one of us. And Jesus, when, when He was teaching, when He was born and, and uh, lived as, as a, a man, before His death, before His resurrection, He was a teacher, He was a healer, He was the Son of God, the Son of Man. And He had parables that He would teach to go to the lost, to tell them that they weren't beyond God's concern, that God really cared about them. problem is, some people had a bit of a problem with Jesus doing that. In Luke 15... We get three parables from Jesus. But what starts these parables is the fact that Jesus has made connection with traitors and outcasts. Now, I could say tax collectors and sinners. And I, my concern is, is that I know I do this, that when I say tax collectors and sinners, you come up with sort of these uh, cartoony characters that you know, or maybe wearing uh, you know, a stovepipe hat or something, or maybe they've got the little robber mask on with the striped shirt, you know, and it's like, he's a tax collector. You know, it's kind of like that thing on Dora the Explorer. What is that name of that little rat that steals everything? Swiper, thank you, thank you. I've got my help over here. Yeah, and, he, and he's stealing everything from them. But you have to understand that these are people who everybody has a problem with because they're traitors to their own people. Because of their sin, they're outcasts, and they've made themselves outcasts. And Jesus is spending time with them, and He's getting an audience with them. He's, they're listening, they're hearing about the kingdom. Meanwhile, there are the concerned. There are some people who have some concerns. Again, I could say Pharisees and scribes, and you would come up with cartoon villains. You know, who have the stovepipe hat and the handlebar mustache, and they're running around spoiling everybody's fun, you know. Can't stand it that this Jesus, you know, is out there having fun with people. He's having a barbecue for tax collectors. But quite honestly, the Pharisees and, 
and the scribes would be people that, I have to admit it, I'd be really comfortable around them. They're pretty smart. They're good people. You know, if you loan them your lawnmower, they're going to give it back to you. They're not going to keep it too long. I mean, all of this stuff is, um, you know, is really good stuff. And it's usually those well-intentioned people who have their concerns that they start to tut-tut and start to shake their head about this. And they're a bit concerned that Jesus is just a little too accepting of these folks. And they're not angry about it necessarily. It's just, you know, what's he doing here? We have to have some boundaries. So they wonder why Jesus spends his time with these losers. <laughs> yeah. How, how, you know, we, nobody wants to think that, um, you know, nobody wants to think that cursing is okay. And, um, we sometimes some of us do it anyway, but you know one of the words that we will just throw around like nobody's business is loser. Oh, he's a loser. They're a loser. What a loser. You're a loser. Even our politicians now call one another losers. It's what are we teaching people? What are we teaching the kids? You know this is this is. I mean that, that's that's almost worse. But Jesus says, okay, you want to talk about losers? He said, let's talk about losers. Let's talk about people who lose things. And he has three stories about these losers, about people who've lost something. He says, take for example, any given shepherd. He says, any one of you, if you're a shepherd, if you had a hundred sheep and you lost one, you're not just going to give that sheep up. You're going to leave the others in their relative safety because they're okay out there in the field and they're being protected by other shepherds. And you're going to go find that one lost sheep. And then in the parable he says, he says this in all cases, that when the shepherd finds the lost sheep, he sends out a call to everybody and says, I've found the lost sheep. Rejoice with me. It's like, hooray. we found that which is lost. Okay? All right. He says, makes sense, any given shepherd, you'd celebrate because you found the one lost sheep. A woman and her jewels. Now, now if you're reading uh, you know, Luke 15 right there alongside with me, you're going, jewels? It doesn't say jewels. Open up your eyes, preacher. It says coins. It says drachma. It says silver coins. Okay, fine. But here's the deal. If you had $10 or 10 quarters and you misplaced one, You'd learn to live with it. I would think you would learn to live with it at some point pretty quickly. But if it was one of your prized pieces of jewelry, not only does it have a monetary value, but it has a sentimental and a deep personal value. I have gone on hunts for lost jewelry, uh, not for members of my family, but others. It's, it's almost a, a, a badge of honor. It's like, I've lost the diamond earring. Quick, quick, we'll find it. Let's find everything. Where were you standing when the diamond earring fell out? Yeah, It's detective work. He says, you can understand it. A woman's got these ten coins. They're part of her dowry. They're even part of her adornment. She's lost one of them. That's not good. She's going to turn everything over to find it. She's going to tell her friends to help her. And what does she do when she finds it? Rejoice with me. I found it. Any given shepherd. A woman in her precious jewelry, and a father with two sons. And that's where Jesus takes us into the longer parable. But remember, he set it up as a story 
about losers who have lost something and who are rejoicing when they find it. Starting in verse 11, Jesus told them another story. Once a man had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Give me my share of the property. So the father divided his property between his two sons. Not long after that, the younger son packed up everything he owned and left for a foreign country where he wasted all his money in wild living. He had spent everything when a bad famine spread through that whole land. Soon, he had nothing to eat. Not long after, he went to work for a man in that country, and the man sent him out to take care of his pigs. He would have been glad to eat what the pigs were eating, but no one gave him a thing. Finally, he came to his senses and he said, my father's workers have plenty to eat, and here I am starving to death. I will go to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against God in heaven, against you. I'm no longer good enough to be called your son. Treat me like one of your workers. The younger son got up, started back to his father. But when he was still a long way off, his father saw him. His father saw him and felt compassion for him. And he ran to his son and he hugged him. He kissed him. And the son said, Father... I have sinned against God in heaven and against you, and I'm no longer good enough to be called your son. There's one more thing he was supposed to say, right? Do you remember? Go back. Treat me like one of your workers. I don't think he forgot to say it. I don't think he got the chance. Because then, the father said to his servants, Hurry! Bring the best clothes and put them on him. Give him a ring for his finger. Put sandals on his feet. Get the best calf. Prepare it so we can eat and celebrate. This son of mine was dead, but now he's come back to life. He was lost. Now he's been found. And they began to celebrate. The older son had been out in the field. But when he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing. So he called one of the servants over and he asked, what's going on here? servant answered, your brother has come home safe and sound and your father's ordered us to kill the best calf. The older brother got so angry that he wouldn't even go in the house. His father came out and begged him to go in. But he said to his father, for years I have worked for you like a slave and have always obeyed you, but you've never even given me a little goat so that I could give a dinner for my friends. This other son of yours wasted your money on prostitutes? And now he has come home, and you ordered the best calf to be killed for a feast? His father replied, My son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we should be glad. We should celebrate. Your brother was dead. But now he's alive. He was lost. And now he's been found. The two sons in this parable are often where we put a lot of attention. And let's, let's go ahead and observe a few things here. First of all, the younger son offends and shames his father. We may not pick this up because it just sort of skates on past us when the younger son comes up and says, I want my share of the property. 
I mean, we ask parents for money all the time. We ask employers for money. We ask, every, you know, we ask people for funds, for grants, for loans, for whatever it may be. So it may not strike us as funny. But you've got to understand that what the father is giving this younger son is the inheritance. Which doesn't go to the child until the father is dead. The son is coming to his father and saying, you know, nothing would make me happier today than for you to be in the grave and we're dividing up the property. I want what's mine. I'm out of here. Horrible. It's offensive. It's shameful. Not only is it just downright rude, but it's, it dishonors the father. And what's really striking is that the father grants his request. Because what the boy has done is enough for the father to say, that's it. You're out of here. You're out of the house. I ought to be stoning you to death for your shameful attitude. But the father gives it to him. People in other cultures get this. Sometimes we read this too easily and we're like, oh, what a dear father. He cares about his kids. People in other cultures where they understand honor and shame hear this and they're like, this, this, this father, is, this father is, is wrong. This father should do something about it. He needs to draw a line somewhere. Put that kid in his place. And sometimes when we hear it like that, we're thinking, oh, well, if it's not a Bible story, then yeah, we get that. Give him a good one. He needs some punishment. He needs time out and then some. But he gives the boy the money. And that's a bad judgment call because the, money, the boy squanders the money. He wastes it. Doesn't invest it. Doesn't do anything good with it. He, he, he fritters it away. It's nearly what the Greek says. But when he comes to his senses, when he sees pig food and says, pig food looks good. And let me, let me tell you, gang, I have fed pigs. What I fed pigs is stuff that I didn't want to eat. I mean, it was the stuff that I did not eat. Mm, that was good watermelon. What are you going to do with the rest of that? Give it to the pigs. Yeah. I want some eggs. What are you going to do with the shells? Give it to the pigs. I mean, we, that's what the pigs eat. And the pigs are happy with that. And this boy wants the pig food. So he is so down that he comes to his senses. But even when he comes to his senses, he's not 100% in the right. Because he says, you know what? I'll go back and I'll be a slave. I'll be a hired worker. It's impossible to think he would have me back as his son, but I will swallow my pride and I will just work to earn my way in his household. That's what he thinks. But is that what the father does? Think about it. Is that what the father wants? Does the father want him to be a slave? What happened? He didn't get to that part where he said, treat me like one of your hired workers. Father doesn't even let him complete the sentence. I've sinned against you in heaven. Yeah, sure. Hey, we're going to have a celebration. You're back. Wait a second, Dad. I didn't get to the part about the hired worker. I don't care. I'm the Father. You're the Son. You're back. We're celebrating. That's God's mercy. That's, what it, that's why God is a good God. Okay? Now, the Son doesn't take advantage of that. But we need to understand that character and quality of God. Jesus is making it seem so scandalous to carry this across to us. Otherwise, we're going to be sitting around worrying why Jesus is spending time with traitors and outcasts. Which is exactly what the older son does. If the younger son offended and shamed his father, 
the older son is offended by and ashamed of his father. Ask yourself, why doesn't he go into the house when he comes back and notices there's a celebration? Because he's saying, well, Dad, I can't worship there anymore because of your horrible behavior. Ah, you've, you've, you've crossed a line, Dad. I can't be a part of this anymore. I'm not going in that house. Not with that boy, the one that squandered half your wealth. No. No. This is wrong, Dad. And did you notice that he also thinks of himself as a slave? Have you ever noticed that? They have that in common. The younger son, who is so self-condemning that he says, the only way I'm getting home and getting back in a relationship with my father is to be a hired servant. That's the best I can ever hope for. Maybe God will have mercy on me. Maybe the dad, the father, will have mercy on me. And the older son thinks that loyalty is being a slave. Now, isn't that interesting? And both of these show us that one son is self-condemning, one son is self-righteous, one son is filled with shame, the other is filled with resentment. The father may have gained one son back, but now he runs the risk of losing his older son because of pride. And the father just wants both of his sons to celebrate. Because the father in this story is the loser. That's right, I said that. The father is the loser. Just like the shepherd who loses a sheep. Just like the woman who loses a coin. The father has lost a son. And as the story ends, he's in danger of losing yet another son even as he gains one back. And this father will celebrate because he does not want to lose either son. God the Father is embarrassing in His compassion. Sitting out there waiting for his son who squandered his wealth to come home. Then he runs out there like some servant, you know. Why doesn't he have the dignity to stand there waiting for the boy to come back? Make him grovel. Have him sweat just a bit. We need to make sure that he's truly repentant. I didn't write the story, folks. This comes from Jesus. And the Father is just kind of embarrassing about it. But the reason why Jesus tells the story that way is because He's trying to get across to all of us, look, God is compassionate. He is gracious. He is slow to anger. He's abounding in love. And if it takes setting up a story where the Father is embarrassing His compassion to get that across, because we can mentally assent to that, but we think, well, God's always going to you know, just kind of hang it over our heads and remind us. He's always going to keep us right there on the edge, right? Isn't that what God does? No. God the Father is eager to celebrate. But you, you tell me, have we not inherited a cultural idea? Have we not inherited the teaching of the religious bureaucrats like the Pharisees and the scribes that say that God is just kind of on the edge, critically ready to judge everything that we do? He's going to blow the whistle, throw the yellow flag, tag us and say, excessive celebration, out of bounds. 
Father is genuine in His celebration. This celebration is about rejoicing that that which was lost has been found. That that which is as good as dead lives again. That relationship has been restored. And finally, the, God, the Father encourages unity. Why, you know, let's be honest. Why is it that we get so divisive around coming to the Father's house? Why is it that we get so divisive about coming around the Father's table? Is, is He happy and proud that we've kicked out the undesirables, that we've rounded them up, put them in their own fellowship somewhere, didn't let them in? Father, we don't want you to look at their ugliness. They don't deserve to be here. Hey, we all worship the same Father, but I can't be with you. I can't partake in this. I can't. I don't know. I don't know. We can't be with you. And yet, we allow these things to divide us. And right now, there's a spirit of the age just dividing us. We all get labels put all over us. You're an anti-pro, anti-pro, pro, anti-pro, anti, anti-pro, pro, pro, anti. We're professional anti-pros. You know? We... we Fill in your blank with whatever it is. Because whatever it is today, it's going to change in ten years. But that same division is going to be happening. When the Father's just saying, look, you're my children, all of you. Come to the house. Come to the supper. Come to the celebration. There is a unity in me. Well, don't we need to purify things around the Father's house? No, we need to purify ourselves. We need to purify ourselves. He'll purify the house. He'll purify the table. We just have to purify ourselves. Like the boy who wants pig food, who comes to his senses and says, I'm going back home. You know, the story doesn't end and don't you hate that? I told a group on this parable the other day, I said, I will tell stories to my congregation and I'll make the point and once the point has been made, I never finish the story. First thing all of you do is you run up to me and say, yeah, but what happened in the story? You know, what happened to your friend who shaved half his beard off? What happened to your friend who was driving the clown car? What happened to them? What happened to you? You always want to know. But I've made the point. Jesus isn't a bad storyteller though. Why doesn't He tell us what the older son did? Did He go to the party, Jesus? Did he stay outside angry? Did he leave his father and condemn his son? Did he murder his brother? Maybe Jesus leaves the story open because he's saying to us, well, what are you going to do? Because you're the children and the father wants you to come together and celebrate. Now, we're going to celebrate this morning. And I'm going to ask Addie Four and her family to come down front because Addie wants to be baptized today. Yeah. And I'm really proud of Addie. And let me tell you, I asked Addie, I said, Addie, if today was the kind of day that maybe you'd want to share your baptism with someone else, would you do that? Addie's like, sure. You know, I've talked a lot about baptism Maybe some of you have been thinking about it. Maybe you've been thinking that, that this is what you need to do too. Um, 
If you've been waiting for God to show you an opportunity, then maybe today's that opportunity. Because listen, if we're, if we're set up and prepped to do one baptism, we're pretty much ready to do more. Now her dad is going to baptize her, but since I didn't know all the plan, I went ahead and, and brought my t-shirt with me, you know, and uh, I'm not going to show you my swim trunks, but I brought my t-shirt with me, and this is my Jesus Gone Fishing t-shirt. You can get yours at Branson right now. So I mean, I'm just saying we're ready, Okay. Hey, four family, uh, let me put on my mask and then I want you to come up here. I've got to put my mask on because they do not need to carry viruses out to other people. And I can't, I don't know. I tried to look for all the viruses in my nose and I couldn't find them. So y'all come on up here. I found some other stuff in there, but they weren't viruses. <laughs> that was for the kids. I, I want to thank you, Bo and Amy, for investing in Addie and... Uh, Amy, you were telling me that she's ready, right? You know, and, and it was because of her understanding of commitment. I, I love the way you put that, right? Yeah. So, in fact, Addie, I want to ask you a question that I think your parents have helped you get ready for this moment. We've talked a lot about Jesus. You've talked to them about Jesus, haven't you? Yeah. And you want to follow him, right? So do you believe that he is who he said he is, that he's the son of God? Because you said yes, you're going to be baptized in his name and in him. And we're going to celebrate this as a family. So God bless you for that confession. All right. Uh, Brent's going to take it from here. I'm going to go help Bo. Uh, Dina's going to help them. And let me ask you, is anybody else wanting to do this today? You need to just let me know right now. All right. Well, tell me later, okay? Tell me later or get your courage up. I don't know, but I just I want you to know in a way, I'm not trying to pressure you. I just want you to know that it's that simple in a way. She, Addie said that she believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. When that boy decided to come home to his father, he didn't have to have everything figured out. In fact, half of the stuff he had figured out was wrong. I'll go back and be a hired servant. Wrong. But he knew one thing. He knew that he could trust in his Father's mercy. And if you know that you can trust in God's mercy because he's revealed to you in Jesus Christ that he's good, then what hinders you from being baptized? Brent, let's celebrate. We're going to sing song number five.